So <coughs> we were talking before about um, about machines. Mm. So, so what's interesting is that recently I took this um, class on advanced film mm -hmm. for photography, and um, I got into this four by five camera. So it's a camera where the negative's this big. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like an accordion. Oh. I have to use a drum rack to carry the camera. Oh my it's, God. You know, you put the thing over your head oh. so you can see into the oh, thing. Oh right, right. The big cloth, you know. And I began to do that. So if I took a shot of you, which, which I don't have it with me today, but if I had it with me, I would have took a picture of you. Oh. Um, the the way this machine renders people is just gorgeous. Like I can't explain it. Like I've tried. I have access to about every camera you can want, you know, through school. Right. At school, they have every Sony, every Nikon, every Canon, every, you know, they have uh, uh, Bronicas and they have um, uh, Hasselblads. They have like a $40,000 digital Hasselblad, you know, everything, right. right? But this thing, this camera that they used to use like on covered wagons, <laughs> it just renders things right. so beautifully. Um, and so if I took a picture of you today, it would, I'd have to get the camera, bring it over here, which takes forever, set it up, takes forever. I'd have to have you stand there, and I'd take the camera, and I'd set it here, and then I would focus you, and I'd compose my picture. And, and in this view, in the back of the camera, you're upside down. Right, so right. my brain has to... Okay. Right. Then I get the focus, and I get a light meter out, and I check your light. And then once I see your light, I go to the camera, and I put the numbers into the camera, how, how the aperture is, how big the hole mm -hmm. is, and how long does the hole stay open shutter speed. Then, once you're all set, and I have to close the lens on the camera so the light doesn't go through it, and then I, in the back, I take this big sheet of film and I right, right, shove right. it in there. <laughs> and then I they have a thing called a dark curtain. I have to take that out. So right. now, when that opening, that little hole opens up, it's going to throw light into this thing. And in the very back, there's this piece of film that's literally a five by seven right. photo. So I, I do that. I put the dark slide back on. I have to flip it over so I know that I already exposed it. Otherwise, if I use it again, I've got two people on that picture. Then I go to uh, anywhere that's got a place I can process film. I have to, in the total dark, take the film out of that little canister, the slide thingy, put it into um, a, a thing where I can develop it. So when I develop it, I have to take that film and dip it into developer solution, take it out and dip it in. I watch a clock in pitch dark, right, pitch right. dark, can't see. You're literally operating as a blind person. And then for a minute, I'm agitating that film. And then after that, uh, every minute after that, I have to agitate the film maybe five times for anywhere from five minutes to 16 minutes. Then I have to put it in some water so it'll stop developing. And then I have to put it into a thing called fixer. And for about eight minutes, I have to agitate the film, uh, you know, and so in front of, you know, what is that, 8 <coughs> plus, uh, let's say 8 plus 8, 16, so you know, you're in a dark room for maybe an hour, <laughs> then I have to dry the film, it dries, it takes, if you don't have a film dryer, it takes a day to dry the film, so you'd hang it in your shower, oh, right, dry right. Off. 24 hours it's dry, so at, at the school we have a film dryer, so I'll use that, then I have to make a contact sheet of the film, so I take, and these are, Gigantic, so only four will fit on a sheet of paper. Right, photo, photo paper. Photo paper, yeah. So I take the photo paper, I put it upside <coughs> down, 
like this, and I put four of the negatives on top of the photo paper. Right. I put a piece of glass on top. There's a light that shoots down, and I have to, and I can't just turn the light on and get my proof sheet, my contact sheet. I have to, I have to take a little piece of cardboard. <coughs> and I have to light it, light it. Three seconds here, three seconds, three seconds. Oh, yeah. Then I develop it. The developing, you, it, you, it takes uh, three minutes to develop. In the developer, it takes a minute in the stop bath, and it takes another eight minutes in the fixer. Then you take it out. You're finally in the light, and you see these little places where I put light on there. And whatever light looks good, three seconds, six seconds, nine seconds, 12 seconds, say 12 seconds looks good. Then I got to go back again, do the whole thing again, just to seconds. get a contact sheet. Right, right. Then I got my contact sheet. Now I see four pictures of you, and I got to pick the one that you look best in. I pick that one. Then I go back in, and I have to put your negative on a thing, and it projects down. And then I pick my 8 by 10 paper, put it underneath there, and I shoot it there. I do that same thing where I do the steps of light to find out which light looks does he look best in. Right. Then when I find the best one, let's say it's 12 seconds again, I have to look at it. If you know it's too bright behind it because there's a window back there, and I have to like burn and dodge the pictures. So I have to put more light in places where it's too bright and where you're too dark, I have to maybe put my right, fist right. over it to block it. So all in all, if I were to take your picture with this uh, 4x5 camera, large format camera, it takes me approximately 8 to 12 hours to get one print. Right. And if I just take my digital camera, my Nikon, I could just shoot it, boom. And um, if I'm by myself, I drive home, I put it in Lightroom, and I could give you a picture in, you know, under an hour. Yeah. Right? But I love this film thing. Right. You know, I love being removed from the digital camera. This one's digital. It looks analog, but it's digital. Oh, my God. So, because this thing, <coughs> just like the phone, this digital camera, just like the phone, it pushes me. It pushes me. It tells me, do it now. Go faster. Go faster. And so I've been, for the last maybe three or four months, I've been working almost 100% analog. And I'm producing way less images than right. I ever did. But I feel like maybe there's some of the best images I've ever made. Because it's the journey. This, this takes away the journey. You know, the, the quest, that, that whole process is a meditative process. It's, it's the same with drumming, you know. To, until you until you learn when to lift the stick or pair it with all that shit that it just it, you don't think of anything else but how and when you know that that whole process is, is meditation also trying to achieve a goal and it's palpable it's not some nebulous goal or whatever it's just the thing you're trying to get this thing so that that's a journey it's a great part of it it's almost a as great a place here Mike you're gonna yeah. Oh, you're recording? Yeah. Oh, damn. I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought we were still off. When I, give, when I go on those long talks, I, uh, I'm giving you a chance to eat your muffin and drink your drink. And oh, so you... <laughs> so all that was recorded. Yeah. yeah I, hope, I hope you can take it out. No, it's uh, fine. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a meditation, that whole part of it. It's, it's almost as much of, of a meditation as finding a composition. 
I think that's what you probably like. Because mm. mm -hmm. you're in that room with dangerous chemicals. <laughs> I, mean, well, I don't think if you ate that chemical or drank it, it would be a pleasant experience. So you, what you, you probably like is the same thing as what you like about drumming is the, the process, the, the meditative. They do call it alternative process, that style of photography. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what, you, what you like. Right. Yeah. And when I do approach my digital, I approach it differently now. Yeah. I don't just fire off a billion shots. I don't rush to right. Lightroom it up and Photoshop it up. You right. know, I take more time. You know, I slow down. It just slows me down. Well, that's a really important slowing it. I mean, yeah. I mean, what is that thing they call it? The spray and pray. What does that mean? Oh, right. <laughs> Ten thousand shots. Hope you get one good one. Sure. <clears throat> that's not photography. No. You know, that's, that's. I mean, it is technically it is, but it's not. It's not the same as yeah. other types. Yeah. Because anything, you know, we just push a button, ultimately. Yeah. I mean, but photography, like any, like anything, is is the is the, the the quest, the quest to find the photo. You know? So when you when you use the spray and pray thing, you're not you just see something and you hope you. There's no intention. That's, yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's not right. what photography is. Right. Yeah, when I look at you, if I'm going to take your picture, because of you know film work. I'll think about what's behind you, and I'll move right. my no, shot around because I don't want to take. I don't want to burn that right. window. That's the process, also. That's that's the meditative part of it. That's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. So, I, so I feel that that story I told you is similar to you know these machines. I feel like these things, in some instances, are pushing us. Hurry, 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 hurry. Well, yeah, just I mean, like this digital camera. It depends, like, like you know, on, the, on your use. In China, you realize the importance of, of having a good phone because you really need it. You right. need it for every day. You, nobody even carries cash around anymore. It's all a thing, a program called WeChat. Are you hip to WeChat? No, tell me about that. WeChat, this is, this is WeChat. It's like, it's like Facebook and Instagram all mixed in together. Okay. And there's money, you hook it up to your bank account, basically? Right. Or? So everything, your whole life is on WeChat. So you pay uh, uh, for things on WeChat. And if you go to the store, you know, you, you do like this. You, uh, uh, where is it? Yeah, it's your WeChat ID, your, Q, your QR code. So if, okay. you, if you give someone your QR code, they can pay you, they can they go get your information, okay. they can, whatever. And you, you take to somebody else to, uh, you want to go to a store, you scan the store's QR code and, you, and your bank automatically pays. Okay. So the, the phone, everything is linked to the phone, everything. In, so it's rushing you to pay. Well, I mean, you can consider it. Isn't it technically though it's rushing you to pay? Meaning that they say it's making it more convenient to pay. Well, I mean, the reason they do this is to control the money, everybody's money. That's the real reason. Well, that's huge. But in general, let's say the difference between like ATM and a check or cash. Like if, if you and I wanted to do something, I would have to go to my bank and get some cash. Yeah. Okay. Or I could use an ATM and spend right now. Yeah. Isn't that rushing it? So if I can just get it on my phone, isn't that rushing it even more? So 
what they're doing is they're making you spend money faster and then they make more money because they make money on you spending money. Yeah. So then you have less money because you're spending it sooner than you would if you actually had to take the time to go to a bank and get some <coughs> or find well, an ATM and get cash. I don't know if it, if it reduces your money. It would, you, would, you could spend it faster? Yeah, you could spend it faster, but I don't think it's going to reduce your money. There, even, the, even the bums, like if you have a, the bums in China yeah. at the train station only because it's not allowed. Uh, they, have, you, they beg you for money. Yeah, I don't have any cash, brother. And they pull out like a thing with their QR code and they give it to you so you could send them money. So you're spending your money faster? No, you don't. Obviously, you don't give the bum But you money. could. You could. You could spend your money faster. So wouldn't yeah. your money run out quicker if it's easier to spend your money? I suppose so. I mean, but then you got to be out of control. But it, it aids you in being out of control. It, it, just, it just facilitates quicker spending. Like if, I, if we went to some shop over here and I saw a thing, like a little used camera, and I'm like, oh, God, I like that. But I only have a couple hundred bucks in my wallet. Oh, I got my thing. I just spent 400 bucks. Whereas opposed to if I had to go home and I maybe sobered up and thought about, do I really need the thing? Aren't you well, spending money quicker than well, if you have to go get your money? Well, there's also the, the argument that, like, I was, we were parked in a, in a no parking zone at the train station one time where, and this cop he didn't say a word he just came up to the car took out his phone boom took a picture of the car and the girl says oh I got a message 400 RMB that bastard just took a picture of my license plate and took from my bank account 400 RMB he gave her a ticket parking ticket it was like that boom wow. no court no nothing no, no didn't even wow. talk to her no paper boom just no no paper nothing yeah. he just took a picture of the license plate it went into the boom, 400 RMB, ciao. <laughs> so that, in that instance, that machine sped up the spending of her money. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So now the machines are controlling our money? Well, yeah, I mean, they've, they've been controlling it for, for a while. But is it good? Is that a good thing or a bad ultimately thing? Ultimately, you, you, no, I mean, I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't really know, you know. Uh, from from the WeChat experience in China, I think it's beneficial to not carry cash around. So you could you could also you can have cash on hand and want to spend your cash too. But once you're but, out, then you got to get more. With this thing, you can just go. You can just empty the whole cup. Oh yeah, I mean, but it's, it's, you, you have a limited bank account too. I mean, I mean if yeah, you're but that's rich, your new, that's your new limit. Yeah. If I only have two hundred dollars in my bank, and I take a hundred bucks out. And I'm somewhere where the thing costs 200 bucks. With this, I can just suck it all out. So now I have all my money all the time. Yeah, if you're if you're out of control, yeah. Anybody. Yeah. If they're, if Even they're, if you're rich, you're spending more money easier with electronic money than you are with actual cash. Could be. And if the know. government has you spending more money quicker, then they can tax you on more things. I, I've never and they make more revenue. Yeah. I, I never thought about it that way. Cause Why I, do you think the banks are behind it? Why do you think the banks what? have ATMs and all stuff? Because oh, you spend more money. Yeah, could be. Then they make more money. They I don't spend. have any money, so I never think about that. <laughs> but if you owned a bank, would you like people to only use cash? Or would you like, if somebody said, I found this way that they can spend their money anytime. They can spend it. And you can get, <coughs> you, you can get your beak wet on every transaction. Yeah, that sucks. Well, you know me. I'm, I'm against money and all material things. So if, 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 we, if I'm... Probably 
utopian, complete left. I mean, I'm farther left than anybody left that you can possibly think of. You know, so for topic of all these topics, I, I just don't. I was saying critical thinking that you, you're just facilitating spending. That's all I'm saying. When you go digital, yeah. you just feel, you're, 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 you know, and instead of just having much in your pocket, now you have your whole bank account to spend. It's, like, it's kind of like the, the debate about guns in the United States. You know, you get all these guys, oh, guns don't kill people, people kill people. So there is the thing where this technology can be used for negative things and could be used for, for good things. But overall, it benefits the banks. It benefits and facilitates the spending of money overall yeah. to go digital because it makes it easier. You mean the whole, the whole with handling your money on the phones? Or even, even ATM, it just makes you, it just allows sure. you to spend money. I'm sure if it, w if it wasn't like that, there wouldn't be ATMs on every street corner on, on the planet. <laughs> so you, there has to be some truth. Somebody's making money out yeah. of it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, um, are you okay? You need the. Uh, no. Tired? No. So, I'm, like, I'm I. thinking people are tired of listening to us. So. Oh, this is just boring. This is just horrible. This is when it's going to get good and we get punching. So, I can't tell you how many times I've been somewhere and um, maybe Adam Sandler would come up and I'd say, you know, I recorded a demo. Adam Sandler back in the, was it the late 80s or early 90s? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was a late 80s. No, I, can't, I don't remember. Okay. Somewhere around. Toshi there. was not on Jimmy Kimball. Right. And um, um, I had an Atari 1040 ST. This pre Max were around, but they didn't really do <coughs> audio so much. Um, and I had uh, <clears throat> an Alesis 1060. I think it was John Wackman's actually. The Alesis drum machine that had Jeff Carl's sounds on, the gray one. And I had like maybe a, a 58 that I borrowed from Chuck Wackman. I don't know if he knew I borrowed it. I think maybe John <laughs> brought it over. And I had the, uh, so in the garage at my parents' house, you know, there, that's where I lived. You know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, there's a trap case. Uh -huh. You remember the trap case? You don't remember the trap case? The trap case. The trap case, the top of the trap case, for people that don't know, trap case, when, when drummers talk about trap case, there's a rolling rectangular oh, case. Oh, wait a minute. That black one you had with the wheels? Yeah. Yes. Uh, it was like a, like a tall one. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember about the trap case? No. Well, on the, on the top of the trap case, for people that are not drummers, you could put all your hardware. So it was a case that was divided. At the bottom, you could put drums, like a snare drum and some stuff. On the top, you could put, you know, cymbal stands or whatever. Well, mine contained all these Playboy magazines and <laughs> cutouts of Playboys. I think I do remember that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was in that garage, you know. And you were, you were where when, when you, because you, you're the one that pitched it. I didn't know Adam Sandler. Right. But you somehow pitched to him that, oh, my friend has a studio. If you, <laughs> like, how did that even go about? Like, how did that? He was in my acting class. He was in your acting class. Where yeah. was that acting class at? Here in L.A. Somewhere, I can't remember. Is that the one near Jerry's Deli or no? Because you were in a few of them, I remember, yeah, over I the years. Yeah, so many. I, I can't remember. Okay. So Sandler, uh, you know, uh, so you, what happened? How did you even know that he wanted a demo? I mean, well, we became, did you present it to him? No, we became friends in class and we were doing, we were working together on something. 
you know, stuff from the, for the class and whatever. And we became friends. We started hanging out. And, uh, uh, he started playing all these stupid songs that are now part of his act, you know, his, right. his, his gigantic act of music. And I, I said, well, if you need to record some of your stuff, I got a friend of mine, he can record all this for you. Oh, really? Which was amazing because you guys are in LA, but there's a billion more talented yeah. engineers. And I, I think, uh, you know, he, he wasn't too interested in, in doing a record quality. He just wanted the documents and stuff. Right. We, and so we had the little uh, Tascam 244 4 track, yeah. which you and I had previously made all kinds of demos on with drum machines and <laughs> digital so delays and oh SPX 90, right? Yeah. So we had that in there, and then so, and I, I'm pretty sure that I charged him $150 for two songs. Wow, right, crazy. Um, which I still have. I'll, I'll play it for you later if you want to hear it. No oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you uh, got him to, you know, come over and and um, you programmed the drums, I believe, in I the did? HR6. I'm pretty sure you did. I think that um, I remember you because this is like when I was working for Kazumi. And you know, I was uh, again. I was humanizing drum parts, mm. and so then you were telling him, "Ken's real good at uh, making the drums sound like real drums." And blah, blah, blah. you know, you're giving him some kind of jive about that. And um, and then we had Toshi there, and Toshi, um, you know, played the guitar. I believe he had a. Well, I think Sandler had an ovation, didn't he? Do you remember <laughs> no, the plastic yeah. back? Um, and then Toshi came in with his like. $50,000 rack, and he had like the lexicon reverb, the, the one from the studio. Right. Remember his rack? I, mean, I it was remember like, his rack, It was like yeah. a, a refrigerator. God, what a memory. I, I had forgotten about all that stuff. Toshi was on that. And I don't believe we had Naoki on the bass. I'm pretty sure you played the bass. Me? No Yeah, way. I think you played the bass on the keyboard. Oh, maybe. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And you, did, and, you were, and, you, and you did all the drum parts, and you did very good <coughs> drum parts, you know, because... You, you really work well within the limitations of the machine. If you listen to this recording, which you don't want to hear, but if you, if you heard it, the drumming is, you, at first you'd be like, you're gonna know it's an HR-16 right away, but if you hear it for a while, you begin to forget that it's a machine, because you can yield that level of perfection in a studio if you gate everything and if you, yeah. you know. So anyways, yeah, and then we did that. We did two songs. I remember we ate, we ate Dinner, he, he took us to dinner a couple of nights, because it took a couple of nights, and uh, he took us to a pizza hut by my house, and he took us to a Chinese restaurant by our house called the Golden Phoenix, which is no longer there. And he introduced me to uh, wonton soup. Really? I remember we went to the Golden Phoenix, and it was like, that's like my Chinese restaurant, you know? And he said, uh, can, uh, can I order here? And he like ordered, I don't know what, you know? So funny. And. Um, and then, yeah, and then so then I, we, we mixed it, and you know, I charged him 150 bucks, I gave him a cassette. That's what it was back then. No CDs, no. Right, right. No uh, cassette, yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, and then a few times, you know, I see you guys after that, because you, 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 like you said, you guys were friends. A little bit. I mean, yes and no. I mean, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, whatever. But you know. He turned into such an unbelievable ass later. You know, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That surprises me because he seemed like a pretty mellow dude. The, se the last time I, I heard, well, I've heard of him a few times since, you know, through friends. And like one was, you know, John Stamos. And um, Stamos was, 
we were talking one day, and you know, he, and I said that, oh yeah, I'd, I'd known Adam. I, you know, we hung out a little bit back in the '90s or '80s, whatever it was. And he says, you know Adam? And I said, oh, I mean, I, I don't. We don't talk anymore, but I right. knew him. If right. he saw me, he'd know. I could say, remember me, Ken? Right, and he'd right. be like, oh yeah, oh, yeah, right. You know, he didn't believe me. You know, John. Why? I don't know. Because why would I know Adam? Because. And I guess Adam was starting to break at this time. This is like right when his movies began to come out. It was before, yeah, before any, anything. We were... I mean, when Stamos was saying that oh, he didn't know that I knew Adam, you know. Oh. So, so Stamos and, you know, Rebecca were at some thing, some Hollywood thing. And Adam, you know, probably because of Rebecca, he comes <laughs> up to Stamos and he says, uh, we have a mutual friend. You know, oh, and yeah. Stamos said, oh, really, who is it? He goes, that's ah, Ken Hada. <laughs> Because I, I think I told uh, Adam that I knew John oh, okay. back, I think at Pete's Hut at one of those dinners, you know. Right, right. And John said his jaw just like dropped. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny story. Is that story. a small world? Yeah, well, you know. I um, mean, after all, he, would, he is an, or was an actor. I don't know what he does now. Right, it's the same field. And, yeah. yeah, it's the same field, so it's, it's you know, it's all Same possible. circles. Yeah. And then later on, I was making websites for a, a guy who's an actor, Casper Van Dien. He's a guy in Starship Troopers. And he was in some... I'm a fan, Casper. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi geek. You like nerd. Casper? Well, I'm a sci-fi geek, He's, man. Yeah. He is Johnny Rico. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. No, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed that movie just because of the sci-fi stuff. You know, Any sci-fi... Well, not any sci-fi movie, but I love that genre, so... Yeah, you know, was that a great movie? Well, it, it was. It was great in its in its awfulness. <laughs> it was so awful. But it somehow persists. It's still, you know, people see it today and they yeah, still because like of the, it because the sci-fi thing was done very well. I think you know the, the whole premise, the idea behind the movie, the concept behind the movie, is somehow you know gaudy, but realistic. Right. You know. And of course, we're talking about Starship Troopers. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Starship Troopers. I think uh, I think Casper did a good job, and what, what, given the limitation that he had to work with him. You know, because you like that movie, I'll <clears throat> tell you a short story about when I met him. I was in Tarzana, and uh, uh, somebody, Catherine Oxenberg, she, I was making sites for like Stamos at the time, websites. Mm -hmm. This is when celebrities, <coughs> you know, needed a website. Right. And so I made his, and you know him, he was like, you know, uh, he let me do it or whatever. He didn't care, because he didn't know what the web would be anything. He thought, yeah, I right. can't do this. I'll give me right. some money, whatever, you know. <laughs> and um, so somehow Oxenberg saw it, and she liked it, you know, and so she wanted me to build her website. I remember that. Yeah, so I went over to Oxenberg's house in Tarzana, and she was married to Casper at the time, you know. Oh, that's right, yeah. And so I go in there, I remember summer, I was hot, I was really nervous, you know, I think I had a nervous stomach, and you know, and I walk, and the house was this beautiful giant like house, crystals everywhere. Took a dump in their house. Practically, probably. <laughs> I might have done that, I might have had, I might have had nervous potty going on, just like that. And I, and, and you know, and so I, I walked into their office, you know, and, and I sat down, and Catherine came in, and she was like, you know, beautiful woman, you know, dressed in this amazing outfit, and, I mean, you know, and I had never met her ever, and so I'm just, just intimidated, you know. Why? Just you know, like beautiful woman, whatever. And I'm, you know, how old was I? Thirty. It was right when my dad was dying. It was around oh. 2000, around 1999, around that time. And um, 
actually it was before he died, maybe a year before. And, and then, so, so she's like, oh, I want you to, my, my husband would like to meet you too, you know, and he's like, Casper, and you know, he's out in the pool. And so he comes in, this is, this is, you know, freaking Johnny Rico, right? And he comes in and he's just drenched in water, right? Shirtless. And he looks like a Greek god. I mean, just, I mean, I know it's weird for me to say that, but super handsome guy in person as well yeah. as photograph and film. And um, just, I don't know if you're, did you ever see the movie Muriel's Wedding? No. Okay. Well, there's a scene in the movie where there's this guy that she has to fake marry, and he's this, you know, gorgeous swimmer. So that's what he looked like. He came in and, you know, he shook my hand, and you just look at the guy, he looks like a Barbie, a Ken doll, you know, just perfection, you know? Funny. So there's me, you know, sitting in there, and Catherine Ogbert's there, and Casper's there, and, um, and I just, you know, literally before that, I just made, you know, websites for Shoot the Moon and for, you know, John Stamos. That was it. Right. You know, and um, anyways, I got hired. I worked for them for quite a while, you know, and spent a lot of time with them. You know, I back remember. then, I would go to their house and we'd talk about what they wanted. And, and they're both really great people. And he's a really great guy. I mean, really, you would love, if you ever could meet him, he's a really, he's literally a cool guy. Kind of cool. Met his mom and dad, you know, uh, all the children. Yeah. Funny. Yeah, so he's a great one, Casper Van Dien. What happened to his career? I don't know. Um, I know that he got a divorce, and he's got a new <clears throat> girlfriend or wife. And, um, but he's one of those kind of guys, like, I, I hadn't seen him for years. And I think I posted something on Facebook or, or something. I don't know what it was. And like he just, you know, reached out of nowhere and he's maybe private messaged me this message about how I'm a great guy and da 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 da, da and you know, anytime you want to hang out, you know. It was one of those guys that like um, fame didn't seem to. Is he Canadian? I think his family's from Jersey. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And his ex wife was um, not Burke. Burt Lancaster, Robert Mitchum's granddaughter. So he has this one son, Cappy, who looks just like Robert Mitchum. Oh. I mean, it's literally Robert Mitchum. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't follow any actor stuff. I don't really I have yeah. no interest in it anymore at all. Right. No. I mean, that definitely detoured your drumming. Because there was a time when you were considering that yeah. art form. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. I loved it. But the people involved in it were so scummy and filthy and disgusting. And, what, and how, how so? I and mean, you hear that, but like specifically, how were they? Well, they uh, just, you know, just the ugliness, the com com competition, the paranoia, and the jealousy. You know? It's just really weird. And there was other factors that I'd rather not mention, <laughs> but uh, it turned you off on that art form. Yeah, turned complete not not in the art form, uh, but on the people are in it. You know, so if I can't stand the people in it, I have no, I don't want. It. Do you, do you have any reckoning as to what created that in, that condition of those people? Like, was it the, the narcissism of whole, that? Yeah, that means or? you know, the, it's 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 the same, like in. 
pop singers or somebody who doesn't go to the to the to the true depth of an art form that skims the surface and only concentrates on the on the superfluous nature or the money or getting famous. It, they they don't understand what it's all about. So they become that. They become this superficial vapid person that I have no interest in, you know, I don't want mm -hmm. them around. So that that's that's one of the main reasons. Right. You know, it's right. ugly people, it's gross. So when did you um, pick up a camera and get into that? Well, it kind of started in high school again because of girls. girls. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of shoot, what, what, what did you shoot in high school? What was your... Well, I was trying to shoot surfers because I was, I loved surfing at that time, but it was really hard to shoot surfers. It's difficult. You have to have a gigantic yeah. lens. Yeah, a giant lens. And I, I have no idea. I would be out there shooting the surfers and it'd be like a million miles away. Like this big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, I wonder why it wouldn't work. It doesn't look like this in Surfer Magazine. Yeah, exactly. So then I started, you know, shooting whatever, my pet snake and Rene Fetch and whoever else. Would. You got to shoot Rene Fetch? Yeah. Wow. How did yeah. you manage that? How did you finagle? I was in, uh, I was in. Uh, was the camera sort of a license to meet <laughs> chicks? <laughs> no. Yeah, well, yeah. <coughs> I was in a, we were in high school. Okay. And I, I think I told you the story. I don't remember this. We were in line to pick our classes, you know. Was okay. Picking electives. So, so registration. Registration, yeah. Yeah. And I noticed Renee was in the line for journalism class. Oh. So for whatever class I was in, I'm like, I'm taking journalism. So I skipped <laughs> the class. <laughs> and just to get in the same class with her. Yeah. And eventually we like kind of not became friends, but I kind of like, sort of talked to her a couple of times. Like, right. And I'm like, oh, I gotta go. Let's put it away. She signed your yearbook, but you didn't sign hers. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> remember if she signed mine. I don't think so. Okay. But uh, yeah, it was just a way to meet girls. But because you had her in the class, that's how you designed this photo session? Or, yeah, I or asked you her did she, it at registration, it was like cold called. Oh, like, no, no. I, I had to, you know, I, before I got the guts to talk to her, I waited for months in journalism class going, what the hell am I doing here? You know? <laughs> Uh, and, and then finally, finally, I got to talk to her somehow. I think she dropped her pencil. I'm like, oh, oh here's your pencil. You know, and that kind of like sparked it. And then I just asked her because uh, I would get a, a photo pass from the class once in a while, with the excuse of doing photojournalism. Sure, photojournalism. Yeah. And uh, I asked her, I asked Mr. I can't remember his name, teacher. Oh, can I? take pictures of Renee in the hallway for whatever Student reason. in school. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, okay, give me a hall pass. And I take She's probably happy to get out of class. Yeah, she just wanted to get out of class, I think. And that's we, cool. So that's where the shots happen is in the hallways of Kennedy in, High School? In the hallways, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> and then you had it, that was back in the film days, so you had to take that film to Kmart or... No, I or, developed it in the in photo class. Oh, you, so you're one of those guys back then. I was then. with Mr. Mabe, you know. You made, you actually developed film. You yeah. did this with the yeah, tumblers, yeah, yeah. got the chemicals all over your hands. Yeah, it was gross. Yeah. But yeah, I got, that was a good experience just with the, you know, the, the uh, developing the history of. Do you still have those negatives? I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm, I threw everything I own from the past away. 
I'm, I'm living a completely minimalist lifestyle. When did you do that? That's an interesting story. Uh, probably seven years ago. You just got rid of everything? Everything, gone. And what was the reasoning, the idea behind that? Well, I was spending money on storage places and, you know, was whittling down my stuff more and more as the time went on. It was you know, having less and less stuff. And finally, I started to think, well, do I really need this thing from, you know, 15 years ago? Do I need these things, that thing? That? Do I really, does it make a difference when I'm in Europe playing? Or No, so I just began throwing everything away. And finally, I, I got down to like my last box of things. And I was like, because of this damn last box of things, I have to hassle like asking people if I can leave this with them. It's just stupid papers and junk, and I threw it. Away. I just threw it away, and so I don't have. I have hardly anything anymore. The only thing I have is like a drum set in New York, you know, a drum set in Italy, uh, and gear. I have gear. Yeah, I'd yeah. Say, so Those are your tools. Yeah, yeah. But I don't have anything. I don't own. Did it? Was there any feeling that you recollect? Getting rid of all stuff. Oh, was yeah. it liberating, or was oh, it, it completely liberating? I didn't have to worry about those things anymore. I didn't have, I didn't have to. I didn't feel the weight of like having to think of oh, I have to go to some town because I left this piece of paper there or whatever. I just completely chucked everything. And then later, I discovered the minimalist movement. You know. Oh yeah, I like that stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, but I didn't do it because of them. I just no. did on my on my own. But I, then I just. You know, I realized, yeah, yeah, that's what, exactly what I was thinking the whole time. Right. In Japan, it's been going on for a long time. Oh, really? Yeah. They're into that. Yeah, the minimal, hardly any furniture, you know, no. Like, don't own a lot of stuff. Yeah, don't own, yeah. Like, it doesn't help you. No, it doesn't. Does it hinder you? Does it hurt you to hang on to things, you think? Well. Or is it like a non... It depends on what you do in life. Yeah, you know, look at your face. I mean, are you Botoxing your face? I mean, you have like no wrinkles up here. Are you crazy? I'm just asking. Come on, man. Maybe this is some really good got, light right here. No, I got lots of gray hair. And, uh, you didn't answer the question, are you Botoxing no. your face? No. <laughs> I can't afford a Botox. Even in Europe? <laughs> no way. some Botox party out there? Just no eat way. Eat some sausage and get some Botox going? No, I, I want to get like a your... hair transplant. That's what I You do? <laughs> I don't even notice what you're talking about with your <laughs> I mean, you don't have thin hair like you got to shave it off and be bald thin. No, not yet, but anyway, who cares? I don't really see it. I've known you my whole life. I don't really see, like, oh, his hair's so thin. Doesn't matter. But you're really not Botox? You're not doing... No, you have some man. skincare you regime crazy? you're doing? Or, I'm really asking. I mean, no. Because you kind of look like... Um, it's the lighting, man. And plus, you can't see with beams anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> you need your glasses. That's for sure. I actually <laughs> went to the eye doctor and got this big bump in this eyelid here. It's like a big, like a pinball. Really? Yeah, and they Inside? said, it's not, it's, the, it's on the lid. Oh, on the lid. Yeah, so they checked it all out. They checked my eyes and all this stuff. Just on the lid. Yeah, and they said, um, oh, you have nearly 20-20 vision. I'm like, really? Because I can't see shit. Wow, nearly 20-20? Yeah, and I used to have, because I have stigmatism, so my eyeballs, it's the shape of my eye is uh, screwed up. Apparently, what happens is when you get old, which I am now, it, it can it can unscrew up because it goes the other way. Like it, really? Yeah. Oh, I have a little. Uh, what's the white thing? The little uh... cataracts. Yeah, yeah, I got that starting. Really? Yeah. Yep. Jesus, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm not 55 years old. You know, so well, cataracts things can are going to happen. Can be cured now. Why not cured. cut them out? Yeah, yeah. I don't. 
but uh, no, because you look very uh, something. Light. It must be the light. This little biscuit you ate. Some blood sugar in your body or something. No, I have health problems. But I think that but, maybe the drumming helps. You have the physical. Well, I'll tell you what. The no, no kids, no huge amount of debt, no real worries. You know, that really makes a difference in your life. And doing something you love to do, that's that's really, uh, you know, something spiritually satisfying and all that stuff. That that's a really important. If, if if I had to do some crappy day job to survive, I'd probably be dead a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that, that's. I think kids wear you down, and of course, mm. it's a beautiful thing. I guess if you're into it, but I, I just never was into it, and, and that takes that takes that takes a lot out of you. Yeah, growing. There's a lot kids. of you don't get to shut down. And, yeah, you don't. Yeah. You don't. If I want, I could split for a month to Thailand and just hang out at the beach. Right. You know, not everybody can do that. So I think that's that contributes definitely. That's and also, def but yeah. also I did I did a lot of yoga. Yeah, yeah. I Did a lot of. And do you do that now? Is that part of your regime or? Uh, when I can, yeah. yeah. When, I, when I can. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely. So it's not every day you don't get up and meditate. You're not one of these people, or, or are you? Well, I think the the meditation comes in different forms. But uh, if practice I practice is obviously meditation. Yeah, practicing and uh, even even photography and just walking and traveling, you know, the traveling right. things is a meditation. Everything can be a meditation. Okay. Yeah. It's it's what they call walking meditation. You know, every oh. step is a meditation. You know, so. I've heard that about some of the, the some of the Buddhists talk about that very yeah. they meditate all the time. Yeah. They say, sir, when, when do you meditate? He says, I'm meditating right now. Right, right. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Right. That, that definitely helps. I, I, I mean, you, you can easily get really wound up in this world about a lot of stuff. And if you don't look at it with the right uh, lens, let's yeah. say, then it can wear you down. You know, um, that's something I wanted to ask you. We were coming to the tail end of this conversation, but like, how do you, you know, because I quit drumming for wrong reasons. Yeah, that was just a real pity. I told you a million times. Um, you were talented. You keep saying you're not talented, but you were. Well, I mean, you are. You just, I think I just, I did, I, I think I was doing it for drumming for the wrong reasons, but. Well, so was I. <laughs> I guess everybody does that in the beginning. In the beginning. I wanted validation from it. I didn't really realize that it in itself was the, the win. Right, right. You know, so. So how do you, you know, uh, pursue an art as long as you've pursued it? And how do you maintain, you know, excitement about it? Or, or does it go up and down? Do you have lulls? Or how does that work? Because I mean, you've been drumming for how long, would you say? Uh, since, since, Which year, what year would you since, say? Since high school, serious, you know, but what about? I don't care about that. I'm saying, well, how long have you been holding sticks in your hands? Oh, since two years old. What I year guess. was that? Uh, 64, 65. So since 1965. Yeah. Um, you know, how does one maintain that level of interest in a thing for that long? That's a long relationship. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, part of it is effort, physical effort. Part of it is, is 
a natural sense of mystery for the thing. How do you still have a natural sense of mystery for this thing you've known so your whole life? Because uh, through uh, through investigation, you're able to <coughs> conquer like different, or not conquer, never conquer, but you're able to go into different areas of it and, and rediscover things. And it also helps to have the right people around you. Like, well, In what sense? Like there are ones that are, are going to keep you on the, on the true track of what drumming can be or is, is but we, we you know, lose track of those. So if, if you stay on that uh, path, then it's, 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 a, it's like a perpetual motion machine where it just, com it just feeds itself all the time. You really? become more, more and more spiritually. It's sort of an infinite? <clears throat> yeah, it's an infinite loop of, of spirituality <laughs> and uh, yeah. craft and, and uh, health and uh, what else? And it's, you know, just. Is there anything that you could tell a young drummer and would they even be able to even take that information about the path that could save them time or, or give them a better direction in what they should be pursuing as far as what drumming is? Well, I wish somebody would have told me this when I was coming up. That, again, on the, the same issue, there's just drumming is a lifelong meditation. It's like a process. It's, it's never going to end, you know, regardless of your financial success at any point in your career, you should always look at the mystery of it and in, enjoy uh, <clears throat> the process, which is something I never, nobody ever told me that really. How know, would that have helped you? Well, it would have calmed me down because there, there was a lot of times I was super pissed off at about what? Uh, this guy got the gig. Why? Why that guy? He can't even do this. Or what? He just knows his dad knows whoever and he's playing, he's making money. And I'm Is that how a lot of jobs are got? Yeah, but that would piss me off. In many fields. Yeah. yeah. Now it, I don't care. It pissed you off because you didn't realize this is a whole life, lifelong thing. Yeah. <clears throat> you just yeah. thought everything was about the moment. Right. The, you're why in. can't I? I can't play with that guy. Or why? Why is that guy playing? With it? it made me look at the the big picture instead of the, the the monetary part or the temporary success, or if you want to call it that, of playing with whoever, you know. And so that that that's probably the most important thing. So that would help a drummer to know that he's a part of a larger objective. Yeah. Than just this daily objective. There's this whole lifelong objective. Oh yeah, that's a, it's a drumming. is a it's a lifelong meditation. It's some, something that never ends. It's something that's bigger than anybody. And and uh, and the the guys you, you that you truly admire, you know, at this point are the ones that that uh, took that journey instead of the the quick. Yeah, instead of the quick uh, the guys that are maybe in a rock band making hmm. 45 million dollars. Somebody got rich and famous. Yeah, so and, yeah. That, that used to be like, well, why is that guy rich and famous and not me? You know, so that, Had nothing to do with drumming. No, nothing to do with drumming. No. I, I thought it did when sure, I was young. Sure, when you're young, yeah. But, what did it have to do with? It's who they knew and yeah, but it was where roulette. they were? I mean, it's like, it's like roulette. It's completely roulette, you know, getting in a rock band. All that. You know, we all go through that period, I think. I, mean, I think the biggest mistake I made was not going to college like immediately after Why is that? MI. 
because uh, because I would have been surrounded by better people, I think, and in, in an environment that and diversity. Was, yeah, in an environment that was more caring and more, instead of being launched into the world of L.A. Yeah, competing <laughs> with a bunch of jerks, you know, or people backstabbing me. I mean, you know, I had the worst time in my life in this in this place in yeah. California in L.A. I think you, I mean, you, we, we can recall some of the periods. Oh, yeah. You know. yeah I've known <laughs> but, you my whole life. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, with people and, you know, backstabbing and talking about trying to block you, and especially in the Latin world, you know. There's a lot of cock blocking. Yeah. There's a ton, ton of jealousy and craziness. That doesn't exist in New York. You know, that, you know in New York, one of the most amazing things I saw was uh, some, uh, okay, I'll start back here when I was in LA I was okay. at this club called uh, Le Cafe I think yep I remember that place and this drummer walks in and he starts introducing himself and me and some other drummers you know are standing there and hey I'm so and so from whatever and I just got into town man you just you, can you recommend any places that are like oh no man we don't know, you know <laughs> <laughs> totally no like, help trying, no help at all trying to cock block him immediately <laughs> from the get-go. Yeah, from the get-go. And I was, I was like, fuck, man. So that's L.A. That's L.A. And in New York, uh, I, I was sitting there one time at the zinc bar. And this guy, it's the same situation. This guy walks in, hey, man, I'm from blah, 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 blah. And the first guy he, he walks up to, he's looking at him and he goes, oh, really? You're new in town? Come over here. And he grabs him and he goes to the bar. And the guy starts writing, 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 writing for 15 minutes. He goes, call this guy, this guy, blah, 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 and go. That's amazing. <laughs> it's such an amazing, completely different story in New York. That's what I should have been the whole time. I should have moved there a Things lot. would have been different, maybe. Eh, yeah. I mean, it would have been a different course, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it would have definitely been a different course. You would have more opportunity, possibly, and more... Probably. Uh, more, I mean, you, don't you think that in art and in life, it, mentors are important? Well, yeah, if you have the right one. Yeah. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Yeah, because even a mentor can hold you down. Yeah, completely. If he's, if he's not, Especially if they recognize some talent in you, they're going to be like... If he's competitive, yeah. if he's... Yeah, that, that's a whole Petty issue. or jealous or... Yeah. Which a lot of mentors are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's traditionally part of the, 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 uh, the battle with teaching and all that stuff. And eventually, the student is supposed to... Compete with you. Yeah. But in a way, there's... You know, the only competition that there can ever be is financial competition. And that's, that's where, where things go left. Because nobody can really compete with anybody in drumming. Because nobody is the master in drumming. Nobody. You yes. cannot compete in drumming. Yes. Drumming kick your ass every time. Yes, right. You know, no, no matter how good you are, think you're good, go to India. See how good you are. You know, it's, it's right. no, you think you're good, go to Africa. No, a whole other world. You right. think you're good, go to Greece. You, know, like, you can't dominate the whole you thing. You cannot. You can never, there's no competition because nobody's the king. You know, Is there something liberating about that or oh negative? Yeah, or? Absolutely. So, so because then all the drummers become friends and allies instead of competitors and enemies like they are in LA. Right. You know, and in New York, there's such a huge concentration of fantastic musicians in such a small place. 
and it's so hard the lifestyle in New York that we don't have a choice but to kind of band together as opposed to here weird, fake, phony. I mean, even, you know, it's, a, it's L.A. syndrome, even Woody Allen, historically. I just watched Annie Hall the other night, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, His girlfriend moves to L.A. and lives with, you know, Paul Simon. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's L.A. I mean, historically, it's been that way. I didn't know that back, back then. I thought it was me. I thought it wasn't good enough, or I thought, you know, man. Too personal. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's just the way they operate here. Now... I mean, I, I, can, I can have the satisfaction that, that that's the biggest discovery that you can make, you know, that, that, that no matter what you say or do, you will never be Dominate the master. The yeah. Yeah, when you're dead, like Bruce Lee, and he says, well, the only time Bruce you're sir. the master is when you die, mm. and then you're the master. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. How many hours... Do you practice these days, uh, a day? It depends on what's coming up. Before the, the latest Brazil and China tour, I was probably doing six, six hours a day. And what types of things do you cover in that practice routine? Sometimes technique things, and, but most of the time rhythmic. So coordinations things. or what? what are... No, it's a different playing concepts like uh, I mean, always, always clave stuff. Okay. Uh, so left foot clave. Left foot clave, rhythmic uh, de development. And, but also, I worked uh, for two years on this African groove from, from Senegal to the point where I could, you know, keep the beat and improvise. I love like, that. Like two years. Do. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. Talk about, talk about a 12-hour photo. My God. Yeah. That's it awesome. was so difficult. It took two years of like eight hours a day, six hours a day. You know. To be able to do that. Yeah. And what are you doing specifically in that particular, what was the name of it again? Put a mark on this. Yeah. I'm just marking the, oh. what was the name of the uh, African it's, it's Senegal, what you call it? It's the country of Senegal, but okay. the groove has no name. It's just a street thing that I saw some kid on YouTube okay. playing. Wow, so he found this digitally. Huh? You found this digitally. Yeah, it was on YouTube. Some guy had filmed this kid, street kid, playing a buckets you know, okay. drum set. And I just saw that and I went, oh my God. What did you like about it? What, what, what pulled you in? It's the rhythmic, the rhythmic phrasing and the coordination. It truly Can you African. send me a link to that? Sure. Okay. Truly African. I mean, you, you know. Truly African. Yeah. When what you does look, that mean? Because I'm not real familiar with... Well, the, the, uh, the vocabulary and then uh, playing over the... They do like the, this 6-8 pattern. You know, there's some... The Cubans know it as Nyaningo or, or Bembe. So, so this thing... Yes, I remember that. But super accelerated. Oh. So, so he's playing... That's totally African. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then with the left hands improvising in six and four bar cycles and two bar cycles, but also in two over the six thing. So I just saw it. And I went, oh six, my. eight over two. Yeah. But varying, you're saying six, eight over two and six over and four, bar, four bar phrases and yeah. two bar phrases. Yeah. Two Isn't bar that similar to swing or no? No, no. 
I mean, yeah, you can't do all that. You can see, when you, when you analyze the vocabulary, you can see how directly it went into the jazz vocabulary. How but, that turned into jazz. Yeah. But, but you know, you have to be able to... Tell me again, his right hand's doing that pattern. His right pattern. hand's going, yeah. You taught me that pattern years ago. Yeah, that's like a. It became an Afro-Cuban pattern. I mean, that, okay. that pattern is thousand years old or whoever. However okay. Year old it is. And then the left hand is soloing basically. The left hand is soloing. Yeah. And then so he's on buckets. So it's just a two-handed thing you saw. No, he has his foot going to a bass drum. What's the foot doing? And sometimes it's it's going on dotted quarters. That's cool. Yeah. The left some, foot doing anything or no? No, he was standing on his left foot because he, was, cause he so wasn't playing sitting rhythms down. with three limbs. Yeah, <laughs> that's but, cool. Yeah, but it was—it's totally insane. And then why? <coughs> why did it take you two years to get that to where you wanted it? Because the coordination. Because to go, ting, 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 keep that going, super fast speed, and to play the cycles on top of it. You know, four-bar cycle, for example. Where, where, where would you sing a four by cycle for me? Like, what would that this be? This is one, two, 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 three, two, four, two. That's four bars, right? What, 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 what could be rhythmically, rhythmically going on in that cycle? So, so this is the cycle. One, two, 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 three, two, four, two, one, two, 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 three, two, four, two, one. Oh. Da, 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 Oh. So there's there's four melodies to that. And that's all going on over that thing. And then he does foot variations too. And which, I'm sorry, the right foot is what is it again? He's either playing dotted quarters. Dotted quarters. That's cool. That's cool. But also he's doing variations that are even harder. Meaning what? What does a variation mean? One and two and one and two on the foot. One and two and one and two and two. So in a way, his band is his right foot and his right hand, and the left hand is sort of a soloist. Yeah. So and on top of that, he was singing too. What? <laughs> yeah. So I was like completely blown away. Wow. I mean, people, you know, that don't understand drumming, just look at the kid and he's, a, you know, all these. Oh, he's guys. a musician. Yeah, he's a, he's a, a kid drummer. You know, uh -huh. kid drummer. Uh -huh. All these people putting their kids. Oh, my kid's a genius on drums. Watch him and play this Rush cover tune. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, get the hell out of here with that kid, man. You want to see a real shit? Put this African, you know. Yeah, so they, they that's killer. Yeah, they, they just don't have a clue. I and mean, this was so deep. I just saw that shit. And it was like nothing for him, you know. But, but how do you think he arrived at that? It's a culture. That's, that's like nothing. Meaning what? He saw other people play that stuff? Yeah, it's part of their culture. But how did he even approach it? Because everybody's born without coordination. How did he acquire the ability to do... I don't know. I don't know his journey. <clears throat> but uh, he was a street, you know, street kid. So he's got a lot of time. Probably. A lot of downtime, so he could just... Yeah, he was all day long. 11 years old, you know, as a kid. Probably sitting there. You know, but all that vocabulary is in their culture all the time. For us, it's just say, oh my God, what is it's all that? It's foreign to us. Yeah. Okay. For him, it's nothing. Okay. Stuff his mom plays on the, in the kitchen. <laughs> okay. So he's immersed in that already. Yeah, he was totally immersed in it. Mm. That's but, so cool. Oh my God. Well, That's I, so exciting. I'll send you the video, man. Okay. What the hell? And now, now that you worked on that process, do you have a, a place for it? Or oh, is yeah. It, I wrote, a, uh, uh, I did an arrangement of uh, uh, my favorite things, 
on my last uh, CD using that that group. Really? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. That'd be a tough one to cover. <laughs> yeah, nobody can cover that. Show. I'd like to see somebody try to cover that. Show. That'd be a great yeah. thing. I mean, if, if you could cover that tune, I I dare say that'd be a hundred times harder than anything anybody's doing at Juilliard School of Music as their final, or, you know, some master's program. And, don't you think? I mean, I don't know. They're doing some pretty hairball stuff. Over are they? There. Yeah, at Juilliard. I, from what I've seen on video, you know, but even even at Berkeley, this, they got this world music program. Okay. It's pretty interesting. It's so it's significant. You think it's some, something well, to it? The only guys I've, I've seen a very few guys on on, on video from. And they, of course, they push those guys. Because so they're, they're the, yeah. the top guy. They're probably already killing when they went to school. Of course. You much. are what you are when you come in. Yeah. And, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody could, is going to be able to cover that, to duplicate that beat just like that. No, just like that. Yeah. You couldn't cram that in two weeks before your final. No, no way. <laughs> right? You have to go through that whole walk. You got to walk that walk. Oh, yeah. And it's a it's a thing where you just have to get pleasure out of doing it because it's so hard. It's just, what the? When you work that up, did you work it with a metronome or no metronome? No metronome. Uh huh. Was there a pattern you start with first, like a yeah, two or a four the, phrase? Yeah, you start with all all. It's just like systematic independence work actually, just against this thing. You just play all the downbeats, and then all upbeats, and then move across the. The six, so you're sort of you're just using syncopation, yeah. Okay. In, in, in the sense, well, you're displacing. Are you just the displacing phrase. things so so that technically you achieve the independence to eventually improvise? Yeah. Was, was there some of them that you came onto that just seemed impossible? Oh yeah. I mean the four bar cycle uh -huh. itself. I mean it's, it took you know so long. To get, so you have to hear it on top of just being able to do it. First, you just do it like a seal, you know, you just look at the paper and kind of... There's no art there, it's just yeah, technical. Just do it, but then you have to improvise with it. And there's, since there's, there's four melodies to it, and then there's permutations of the melodies. So, so in order to get to improvise with the, with the, with the four-bar cycle on that thing, it takes forever. That's crazy. You know, yeah. Do you think that the, the way you play drums and the, because you play so well and, and because of the diversity of what you play, do you think that that's ever inhibited you in, in any way as far as getting hired, like say? No. Like what, if I was a drummer and I was going to do a thing with you, would I be afraid to do it with you? Because, no. Uh, no. So you could dumb it down if you had to? Of course. <clears throat> the only thing that's not gotten me hired is connections. <laughs> so it's about networking. Uh, or who you know, or whatever. Yeah. So, so do you think that um, you, you? A lot of times when you'll talk about a drummer, you'll say to me, "Oh, they can't play Latin for shit." So, what is it about Latin music that makes you a better drummer? Well, the rhythmic aspect. When you confront that style, let's say Afro-Cuban, you confront the whole lineage of rhythm back into the history of man. No, so it, you're talking about it's helping you in a historical sense or? No, in a rhythmic sense. In a rhythmic sense. Yeah. So you're getting like a larger voc vocabulary of? Well, you're getting a larger a rhythmic palette. That's palette. Much, much bigger. So you have more to pull from? Yeah. 
way more. To how do. does that affect, say, something as simple going all other way of the other side of the spectrum? How does it affect, like, playing simple? Four, four. Yeah. yeah. Because I think when you study rhythm, they don't have as much regard yeah, for they music. Don't. No, they're not into the communal <laughs> thing. <clears throat> when you study rhythm, you you develop a a, a grid like in your body. A grid. A, a rhythmic grid that makes your time sound differently. And somebody, if you because only know eighth notes, for example, yeah. then your time will be superficial. Your sense of time. But if you know whatever, this is just on a basic level of it. If you know triplets, you know 16th notes, you know 32nd note, 32nd note triplets, you know half note triplets, quarter note, you know, your rhythmic palette becomes bigger in your brain, and then you t the way you play time changes. Changes. And also, you're not, you don't just know all those subdivisions, but you know two against three, and six eight, and phrasing, and yeah. it's not just, you're doing stuff against each other, too. Right, right. That, that makes you play, sound differently. But, you know, you need to... You what need does to, it give you? Like, what, if you're playing four, if you're playing something more simple, what does that prowess, that, that level of control, get, bring to a simple... Well, it makes you realize that, that the, the, uh, the function of music, uh, the mechanics of music, that you need to apply to the kit all the time. One of the things that rhythm, rhythm does, and it's, it allows you to feel structures, like feel musical structures, like four bars or eight bars or 32 or infinity bars. You know, you'll be able to feel them. So and if you're doing something simple, you realize it's not about a beat. It's about a space in time that you're trying to create a certain texture in and then use the drum kit and the voices on the kit to accomplish the musical goals of the composer. So if, you wanna, if you have a song that's a pop song that's yeah. based on, on eight bar phrases, yes. you don't do a fill on the second bar and then on the third bar and then not on the fifth one and then you do another fill on the sixth. Then right. somebody has no idea about structure or the function of the drum set. So when you, when you study rhythm, you have these long, long structures that uh, are ingrained in you kind of yeah that you realize you make the realization okay you know i have this amount of, of time until this cycle ends and it what the cycle is doing is is creating musical tension and then finally when it ends it's a release so the same concept is in in pop music but you just apply it to harmony instead of rhythm you know, but, then, but when you're in tune with the harmonic movement and the tension and release points, yes. then you can play. And apply that to Yeah, you can play and you, your time is different. So you're going to play it differently than another drummer because of that? Well, I mean... Or you have that to draw from, what is that? <clears throat> yeah, you have it to draw from. You, you, I mean, a guy like, a, you know, all the great drums, they, they understand this, of course. Great drummers. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I mean, as a student, it allows you to, to calm down and not feel like you have to fill every space with noise. You're overwhelmed or, by yeah. that. You can, you can play <coughs> eight bars in a, in a, in a way that's going to accomplish a, a musical goal. Right. You know, right. Instead, instead of thinking, oh, oh what am I going to do on the eighth bar that's going to make musical history? 
Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And so obviously you have a larger thing to pull from. Yeah. yeah. Um, when, do you remember in your career when you went from being a guy who mechanically played the drums to having like your own style? Is there a way you do that? Yeah, yeah. How do you, is it just from experience or do you go after style? Do you, how, do you, how do you find your voice as an artist? Well, some people find it kind of naturally, uh, but uh, other people have to, to I mean, I'd say 95% of us have to find your, our own voice you know, on purpose. On purpose. Yeah, you have to really dig and try to find it. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a combination of vocabulary, your rhythmic knowledge, and your knowledge about music and drumming, and then it becomes a gigantic combination of all of all those things. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a you know environment. Yes. What you're exposed to, and the more the more you're exposed to, Jesus, I, I want to kill those it's kids. kids. Uh, see, I'm not good with children. I'll probably get a bucket of water and I drown them in the water. <laughs> Typical artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's how you how you do that. It's a long. Well, you'll never listen to this podcast, anyways. Yeah, nobody will be listening at this point. I'm saying you won't. Oh, Pe people will. will listen to this. You think so? Well, I know they will. <laughs> Maybe two people. No, you'd be surprised how many people listen to these. <laughs> um, so that's and that's how you did it. You went because because that's that's a tough thing, don't you think, to find a style because you know. You hear a style like Western drummers. If I hear a couple bars of Vinny, I pretty much know it's Vinny. Mm, you know, uh, I can, you know, the different guys, the different yeah. drummers. You can kind of tell. Yeah, not right. anymore, but less. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, Vinny, Vinny is that. I mean, if you analyze what, or if you talk to him and see what he did, I mean, he did exactly those things. It's, it's, he left no stone unturned. Yes. You know, so that's, that's how A very thorough it. investigation yeah. of systematic, of, of yeah. rhythm. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's, how, that's how you do it. Right. And time management of the guy, from what I, I don't, I've never met him, but from what I've heard from people that know him, he's, he's you know, always working on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah Lifelong yeah. pursuit. Yeah, yeah. Got to always work on it, that's for sure. Even in, while driving in the car, while walking, while on the train, you know, but, but it becomes a pleasure if you, if you do it from a standpoint of, of rhythm, you know, if you do it from a standpoint of technique, it's, it's drudgery. Why is that? It's because you're mechanically trying to get faster in your hand, you're sitting there on the pad and driving one right hand on the, on the pad, and it's, just, it's just drudgery. So you're, so. Talking, you're talking about that it's more uh, fulfilling to have this exploration of rhythm? Yeah, yeah. The, the exploration of rhythm is, is the most, I think, fulfilling path. It's just unbelievable because it, it, re it really leads you to, to a, you know, realizations and ways of thinking and uh, different uh, modes of, of perception. You know? And those ways of thinking, modes of perception, they're more useful to you as a musician? As an artist in, in as any an artist. case, in any, even as a human being. Because it starts to change your, again, it starts to change your brain, you know. Were you ever the kind of drummer who were influenced by other drummers? Oh, yeah. You were, were can you name any drummer that 
You don't have to name them all, but is anybody that sort of influenced you as a drummer? Well, when I was younger, you know, Tony Williams, even you, when I was young, we mm. copy each other, you know, mm -hmm. do things we, mm -hmm. we do. How did Tony influence you? Uh, he was so powerful, you know, in what he did. And, I mean, I couldn't understand at the time the rhythmic concepts. Right. So it's just the power and the charisma and the passion, you know, that. Right. That's, that's all I could perceive. It was, was interesting to hear swing played in that, with that volume. Oh, yeah. But it worked. And, and rhythmically, because even rhythmically, he was super deep, too. I know, he did things that were bold. Yeah. Like, he took risks. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know? And he had this weird thing in his playing where he could throw singles in the thing, and it didn't sound stupid. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's because of the mallet background, or... Well, he was a musician, that's for sure. You know, I mean, you got to be a, musical drummer, yeah, huh? a musician. That's that's why. You know, if you if you're not a musician, if you're like seal, a trained seal, then it sounds stupid. Right. You know. Right. So Tony was one. Who else? Bloody oh, Rich, you know, and uh, all everybody. The same guys that everybody. Yeah. Had you know. But you had to go out on your own at some point and find you know do your own Jacques still, right? Mm. And, and so you had to. Let go of all that. Yeah. Or do you still find people now that influence you? Oh, yeah. It never ends. It never ends. So this kid, you see this kid on a YouTube video, and you spend two years, yeah. like, work, just taking that apart and doing right. it. That's pretty amazing. Two years later. Who else yeah. have you found recently that sort of, you think, oh, that's a notable, or for me personally, I just enjoy that person's, the way they're approaching a thing. Yeah. Is there anybody else? Or, or, or are there other instruments that well, you listen no. to that? Well, there's tons of in drummers from India, for example, and Brazilian drummers. And uh, not so much Cuban drummers anymore because I... I exhausted that whole... Huh? You kind of exhausted the whole exploration of that? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not... Or you not grew out of it. I kind of... No, I just did it for so long that it now, you know, it's a... It's a I know what's going on, you know, just, I, I did it. And I think also Cuban music has had a huge downfall in the last Why is that? 20 years. Because of that stupid movie, Buena Vista Social Club. Oh, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Movie about Cuban music. You know. And so it got people all into it, so the, me the mediocre rose and... Exactly. It, com it got commercialized, like, big time, and then the next thing you know, everybody's... Tourists are going over there requesting songs from 50 goddamn years ago. So that became the definition of... of, of yeah, so the mm -hmm. modern went instead. And now, you know, they have just horrible stuff going on over there. Except for the, the, theme, the timba movement was the, one of the greatest movements. You know, after salsa, the timba thing started and it got chopped in half because of that stupid movie. Okay. So, <clears throat> then after that, what am I going to do? Play... Bachata, but you know, it's like it's so lame, it's so lame, you know. So, uh, you know, when from there I went to Africa, Africa music is just it's just too vast, you know? it's too it's like a nebulous thing, you can't like grab onto something, huh. one thing, you just can't. You know? it's, just, it's vast, meaning yeah. that because of it's made in different places, or why is it vast? Because there's so many countries involved and so much history behind you know the stuff like the the only common thread you can grab onto is rhythm it's like rhythm is the same types of rhythm okay. rhythmically the vocabulary is the same okay but there's just so many beats and styles it's just impossible 
And just like in Brazil, there's, there's over 600 genres of music in Brazil. And even the guys in the West, they don't know. Over 600 wow. or 700. Wow. Yeah, you know, that's like it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's just wow. impossible to keep up. Not even they can keep up. You know? Right. They, they, they've become specialists in each region. You know? Do certain things rise to the top in all that, or yeah, is it know, just the, a personal preference thing? No, there's there's some things that are, get exported, I think, from the re regions, like samba, batucada, all the stuff that we know here is the most popular you know, thing in the world that comes from Brazilian music, but that's not the end of Brazilian music, of course. Right, it's right. so deep. So uh, every once in a while, I uh, get back into it, I, you know, open the door. Dabble in it. Yeah, and I go, oh, my God. It's just so vast. That yeah. You know, mm. so, but, I, I, but, I, but what I do see is that the rhythmic elements are the same. Yes. In, in African and in every music. But as you say, it's a regional thing. There's regionally... Yeah. It, it develops in different ways in different spots. Yeah. When you get into the regional thing, you're fucked, basically. Right, right, right. You're totally screwed. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, that sounds great, though, too. It sounds great that that exists. I mean, that... Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, that's, that's the power of, of, of having that knowledge, is that you're no longer focused on the pettiness and the, you know... On the because the size of the thing is yeah, so vast? it's so vast. You know you'll never... Nobody can ever really, you know, dominate. Right. Nobody. Right. That's Even the drummers at the Flavor of the Month drummers right now. Right. If they went to Brazil or whatever, right. vanish. <laughs> they would get obscurity. eaten alive. Get eaten know? alive. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so right. there's no way to, you know. And the, the saddest part is that the, is that, that that's not held up in the drumming community in this country. I don't think they're even aware of it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that everybody's explored rhythm to the extent that you have. Yeah, there's very few, few people. I mean, there's, a, there's sort of a lot of people, but there's very there's few. There's got to be a little niche club of you guys. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people, and there's very few people at the same time. I mean, and then there's all, the, of course, all the guys in, in India. I mean, we are like ants to them, rhythmically. You know, like... <laughs> We don't know nothing about like beginners. Yeah, compared to compared to those guys, it's because of what they're, what do they do differently than than? Well, the study of, of conical, you know, such a such an ancient rhythmic study. They they have cycles that last for fifteen minutes, wow. not not just four bars. You know, really, like fifteen minutes. A cycle? Yeah. <laughs> That's like the difference between a poem, a short story, and a novel. Right. Right. My God. Yeah. So rhythmically, they they just so advanced, far advanced from, from us. You know, so. What do you think is at the heart of rhythm? Like, why are we all so fascinated by it? How can we spend our whole lives uh, dedicated to to rhythm? To yeah, rhythm? because rhythm is a has become an. That kid back there's making a rhythm. Yeah, I want to you know, rhythmically kill him <laughs> in the toilet and <laughs> drown him. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, well, because rhythm is an innate part of the universe, you know. It's, it's, it's a base thing, huh? It's a, it's everywhere. It's completely completely dominated by it, you know. And it comes it comes down to the that thing again where it's so liberating. It's so uh, it's such an ancient uh, thing that those in charge don't want us to see that stuff because it, it will liberate you. It'll take you completely out of the system. 
it'll make you think completely for yourself. Yeah. Or differently. Or differently, or it'll it won't you not won't, the way they want you to think. Right. So that they don't want you messing with that stuff. That's that's like old old human stuff. You know. I mean, that's now, interesting. Yeah. Now science is is discovering, you know, all all that stuff, and it's being proven scientifically. You know that that, that waves. Our, our, that rhythm is really waves in disguise, light waves and, and sound waves. Really? And, yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I'm no scientist. But, yeah, yeah. But apparently, uh, rhythm yeah. is, is a series of waves, right? So a super accelerated wave <coughs> is light. Pretty okay, much. yes. So when you slow that light down, you, you can distinguish a polyrhythm. Okay. Getting to a very deep thing about rhythm here. The batteries died. It's the first time ever in a podcast. <laughs> Phil has killed the batteries because he's talking about some very um, sacred things. I, I feel. Yeah. To some level. Um, so I don't know what got cut off. Yeah, we'll never so know. So we review just a little bit <clears throat> that you were talking about how the rhythms that are in light, when you slow it down, it can, it could be the rhythms that are in a note, and it could be, and it eventually becomes the rhythms that are in drumming. Right. And and right. you found out about this how long ago? And who was the person? Well, about, that, about 20 years ago, I, I started, it started with Efren Toro, this is guy Efren Toro. I remember you talking about him. Yeah. He's really a genius and understands all this stuff, but but Dan Tepfer, the pianist in New York, he's actually a physicist. And he can, like, describe exactly what happens, you know, in, in all these processes. It's, it's kind of like the overtone series on a, on a piano. Okay. You know? So, Which is what? The overtone series is, uh, uh, like, when you play a note, there's actually two or three notes in there, you know. So yes. So, so. People think it's one note, but it's, yeah. 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 <coughs> so each one of those notes represents a, a, a rhythm, and, and like Dan Dan says that if you, he can take it's actually on his website too. If okay. You go to his website. He's I'll got, put a link on this yeah. podcast. He uh, he uh, he's developed this uh, program where he can take a polyrhythm, super accelerate it, and then you can hear the note eventually. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. He can even do chords. It's like a sure. chord. That's just more notes. Yeah. It's just this polyrhythm, this one, groupings. this one. Yeah, yeah. Groove, and it starts off. <laughs> it turns really? into a chord. Yeah. Really? That's nuts. Amazing. So that's why these things have meaning, or, or some insight into why these things might have meaning to us, rhythms. Oh, yeah. I mean, so you could even take that. I wonder if it also, I'm sure it does, may even correlate to colors. Well, yeah, yeah super. You, each one of those... Uh, uh, you know, light is a series of colors, you know, yes. this, this light that we're looking at now. Spectrum. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's the spectra, the color spectrum. So yeah. each, each color has a particular polyrhythm. You know, if you want to create the color orange, you play, you know, nine over whatever. I don't know the exact yeah, yeah, yeah. formula. But that color orange could you go backwards. It could go yeah. to all the way to a rhythm. Yeah. It turns and into a, a note and then a, a rhythm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's why it's such an, an integral part of our experience as human beings, because we experience rhythm in, in three different 
ways. We experience through our eyes, through our ears, and through our bodies. You know, with the drumming is finally the most bass. Well, I don't know if it's bass because light can be bass. Who knows? It's yes. Just, it's just the ones that we can feel rhythmically. Right. We can't feel light rhythmically, but we can feel the the formula to create that color. We can feel it rhythmically. That's nuts. Yeah. You know, when my daughter Kate was a baby, you know, she couldn't speak. But if I would sing to her, she'd, you know? Mm. So there must have been something in that that she heard some bass thing where she could learn. She knew music before she knew language. Well, yeah. Where she reacted to it, I should say. Right. Mm. That, that's, it's, a, it's such a huge part of being a human being. Mm. That uh, you know, we're we're just not we're just not aware of it. <clears throat> but that's the reason we, we're, we gravitate towards it, obviously. Yeah, it's, we gravitate towards this, it because it's a humongous, powerful force in the human experience. Mm. You know. It's crazy. Yeah. So do you think that people that don't need to make things, make music, make paintings, make pictures, people that work with numbers or, you know, do, are they, have they evolved beyond that? Or are they not yet come to that realization as a... I mean, people are, who are work outside of the arts? Yeah. No, no, they're not beyond that. So if anything, they're completely ruled by it. They just don't know. Sometimes they'll own art in their home. They'll see art in their home. Right. But it's not as important to them as to somebody like you and I. Right. Why is it for some of us it's almost like life and other people it's... Right. Yeah, that's a good question, actually. I mean, I can see the fascination with numbers because that's an interesting field. And it is numbers that you're talking about with polyrhythms and about yeah. what light is. Those are numbers. Right, yeah. But they're obviously in different groupings than... Yeah, it's a, it's a different way of looking at it, the mathematics. Um, I mean polyrhythms is is drumming is mathematics to a big degree absolutely the, the rhythmic language so our notes, <coughs> so our notes i mean they're just yeah they're just vibrations yeah right yeah right. yeah so i could see the fascination with that but somebody like a, a car salesman or something i don't know i can't yeah. I, they're so far removed from me that i, I don't right. know their mentality you know i don't right. understand what motivates somebody like that i don't, I don't mm -hmm. know <clears throat> you know, I know that this lemonade was $4 a glass, Yeah. but I have to admit it's pretty good. <laughs> I'm not saying it's... They put a lot of sugar in it. Is that why I like it so much? Yeah. Is it sugar or is that corn syrup? Probably. In a place like this, it should be cane sugar, shouldn't it? I know. <laughs> Funny. $4. That's why a coffee when it's cold, you know, especially after a cold. Yeah. Drink a cold thing, it makes you cough. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. That's cool. Well, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I, I can send you all the links to dance. How did that knowledge of, you know, the rhythms are, are slowed down versions of light, how, if any, if, if at all, did it have any effect on you as a musician, that knowledge? Well, it does because it, it makes you, it starts to make you think differently. You know? That uh, makes you more of a aware of things and makes you more sensitive to 
how music works and why it pulls at you emotionally and things like this. And so when you're um, more aware of why, you know, a minor chord is a sad chord and a major chord is a happy chord, then you can function in music a little better. You know, you know um, on a different track, as a musician, you know, um, you embarked on a journey and at times it was a, a, a journey without any illumination, meaning that you didn't know if what you're doing was something you should keep pursuing. Um, it was a journey with sometimes without reward. How does one, you know, endure those situations? You know, for younger musicians who maybe they're like at a crossroads. You know, like what? What was there anything that helped you through that, or what what helped you to to, to keep believing in music? <clears throat> well, for me, I mean, I, you know, I can't do anything else, so I have a choice. Yeah. But everybody says that. What does that mean? I can't people say that about acting, or people say that yeah. about art. Or... Well, I mean, it just simply means that I, I, I wouldn't be a very good car salesman. I'd probably you wouldn't be... enjoy it. No, it would suck at you it. You might be good at it, but you wouldn't enjoy it. I'd never be good at it. Cause you gotta, you got to enjoy it something to be good at it. You have to find some part of it that you enjoy. Just you know, I, I can't. I can't. I would have enjoyed being maybe a veterinarian. Or that's like worse than a doctor. You have to. You have yeah, to. I was, didn't have the brain power to to be at least in the United States. I think you have the brain power. I think you didn't have the desire. Well, because things you pursued. I mean, I think it'd be. I think in some ways to be a, a fine art musician, which is what I would I consider you as a fine art musician. Um, I think that in some ways you have you've you've uh, undergone. Worse treatment than somebody like in a prison camp. Oh yeah. And worse mental duress and oh, worse yeah. doubt and worse, you know. So it's like to say that you could. I think to be a vet would be easier. At least there's this definition of what it is. <laughs> you went into the wild west. Right. You know, you live your life in the unknown, and that takes way more guts than like just go to school for 15 years. And now you're a vet. Right. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think that. Uh, how do you survive the, that? The, the dislike for doing anything that you don't like has <laughs> to be so intense that, that you're willing to endure any amount of crap that you... Then to do the other. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So you must really dislike being a waiter. Oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't even imagine. I can't imagine, you know, I mean... It's like renting yourself for money is a disgrace to, uh, to be a human being, to have to do that is a... To rent yourself for money. Yeah. Yes. So you're using, you're taking money for your... Time. Time. Your time on earth, you're exchanging your it. Time on earth. Yeah. Which, don't you, don't you feel that, that, I say this a lot in these podcasts, that time is your only true enemy? Well, I don't know if it's enemy, but it's a, it's a measuring... As a measuring stick, it, it helps you decide what you should concentrate on. Yeah. But don't you think it's your only fortune? A fortune in, in the sense that if you, if you have an awareness of death, then it's a fortune. Yeah. If you become aware of death, then that's, that's your fortune. Because you only have so much time here yeah. from the moment you were born. How long have you and I known each other? 
I've known you since 1970. 40 years. Okay. 40 years. Uh, 40 years, yeah. 40 years, okay. You're not going to know anybody else from now, unless you live to be 80, for 40 years. I know. You know. And so, you know, time is this, time is more valuable than money in the bank. Exactly. Because you can't, no matter how much money you have in the bank, at the end, you can't get it back. You can't, oh, I'm about to die. You need to take 80 million. Right. You don't get one more second, right? So time is your only... Yeah, that's exactly right. I see what you mean now. Yeah, time time is the most valuable thing that you own. Look at, yeah, look that anybody at, owns. Yeah, if you understand how to live. In but time. even if you don't, it still is. Even yeah, if you, it is. Even if you're ignorant to that. Yeah, but I mean, if many people have killed themselves, for example, commit suicide. Or yeah, whatever, they don't understand incredible fortune they are to be. That they already had. That by they, being alive, by having time. Yeah. Just, My dad's dead. He has no time. Yeah. My mom's dead. She has no time. Right, right. You know, so time is like your fortune. Yeah, I believe it's, it's the measure of of what you should uh, judge everything that you're doing against. You know. So. Yeah, like like I, me sitting here with you doing this, like I felt like it was a way that I wanted to use my time. Right. And, and that's that's the. You know, you know, that's what's important to me. Yeah, yeah. Is that, you know, like, I try to be that way. I've been that way for a while, for years. But I try to only do with my time what I feel is valuable for me. Right, not, right. not that it's great, not that it has some big virtue, but to me it does. It is a, that is a virtue. I mean, that's, that, that, that right, right there is a virtue because you, I mean, you've always had that kind of, Ability to distinguish those things, so so it's not a virtue for you. So you automatically do it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm common. Right, I'm common in the world of hadas, <laughs> but in the in the normal world, very uncommon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, uh, time. It's, it's, uh, that's why I dislike it. It's not that I dislike bringing food to somebody or the idea of helping somebody eat or whatever. It's this idea of trading my time on Earth. So some guy can make money off my time. It's, it's a perversion. I think money is a is a perversion, you know, in this on this world, a, a black mark on the face of humanity. Well, it's made up. Money's yeah, made up. It's a completely false system that we have to get over. I can't believe that we haven't gotten over it at this point. It gives you Still. something to do with your time. You could accumulate money. You can make more money than other people. Oh, you can what? make less money than other people. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the reason, but I'm saying it is a diversion. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a detriment to humanity. <laughs> it definitely makes every. It puts everybody on the same page. What? Money. Because oh, so. you, because like in a country like this, you have to have money, else you can't go to the doctor, or you can't. Right get a four dollar lemonade or you can't you know and then and then so then all these people that don't know what to do with their time their lives they well I can make money so maybe it's something for the unimaginative you know that you could you could well I made and I made I made more money than my brother did yeah I don't know (laughs) I'm not saying that's a good thing I'm making fun of it no I know no it's the most insignificant garbage I think that you can spend your Time. What if you don't have your thought power? What if you don't have your your per, your particular intellect 
maybe top, maybe money is perfect for some people. Like the, that's the that's that's the most they'll ever be, and that's all they want to be is somebody that made a lot of money or somebody that. Well, if it, I I don't know because I I can't imagine you know, that, uh, a, a mindset like that. I have no idea. Isn't that most people though? No, I think that if if most people really found their passion, you know, again, you know, I have to draw from other regions of the world, which is the majority of the human beings on this planet. You know, this country makes you think like that. This country fucking brainwashes you. It makes you think that, that, that there's something special about the pursuit of money and the pursuit of material things. It's, it's the most banal, incredible bullshit waste of time on this planet. Well, then you're not... Then you're not out with a bunch of guns demanding the government to do this for you or that. It, keep, it keeps people tranquilized, doesn't it? Money? A lot of things keep, keep people tranquilized, religion or whatever. But just from living in Germany, I don't know if I ever told you this one mm. time. I was in an apartment. I rented an apartment off a friend of mine it was in Berlin. And the landlord came one day, I think after seven months I'd been living there. He knocked on the door. Oh, I didn't know who he was. Uh, I'm, I'm so and so the land. I own this building. Uh, okay. Do you know where so and so is? I'm saying names. <laughs> well, he's in Thailand. He's got a gig. You know, he said, "Well, won't be back for another six months." Or, oh, he's in Thailand. Why? What's the problem? Well, he hasn't paid rent in like seven months, and I really need to talk to him. Okay. And I'm like, what? He hasn't paid rent in seven months? I can't believe it. And oh my God. Well, geez, I, I don't know what to say, man. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll pack my things and find another apartment because there's a lease under his name, right? And he's like, why would you do that? Well, because he's, you want to rent it to someone else, right? You want to get your money from this. Why would I want to do that? He says, well, because you own the building. And he, mm -hmm. and he says, well, but if you leave, then where is... I'm just going to say a name, Jim, going to live when he gets back. Mm. I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> kind of blew your mind. That kind of mentality just doesn't exist here, you know, in this country. Which is what? Name the mentality. Like, he didn't even give a crap about the seven months. He was more concerned about when this guy came back, where he was going to live. Because he had been in this apartment for years already. Right. You know, he didn't give a crap about the, whatever, 7,000 euros over the last six months or whatever. Right. Seven just don't find here they put a lock on your door you're out of there after one week <laughs> yes you're late you know <laughs> and so that kind of that blew my mind so much and, and it made me realize that okay the whole world does, does not operate like like the united states I mean, it's, it's no. a completely different way of thinking about everything you know and this constant pre pressing of pursuit of money and things and this is poison you know, it's complete garbage also so for a young person would you if you're mentoring them would you tell them that they no matter where they live japan united states wherever, that they got to get up and they got to travel to see to have some perspective of yeah everybody should be forced to travel at least four years and not be able to come back for four years instead of going to the military Everybody should, there should be a program worldwide where you're forced to travel for four years. See your globe. Yeah, see everything. You can't stay in one place more than six months. Okay. And you have to go to the next place and the next place and the next place.
Is there a reason for the four-year mark? Uh, just in, instead of like military four years. Okay. You know. <clears throat> and, and that would be because for perspective? Yeah, to make a better human being, to see how other people live, to get different, you know, to get realities of how, how the world works. I think governments would probably be against that. Oh, they would be totally. They don't want no thinking people. They just want robots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I Actually, agree. I think the German government would be fine with that. Okay. Swedish government. Uh huh. More. Well, some places in the world don't have a fear of that. No, they want that. Want more. So they're thinking of the big picture. Yeah, they're thinking of, of long-term survival, long-term uh, happiness, you know, long-term life of human beings, and what it means to be on this earth, what the meaning of being on this earth is, as so opposed to the pursuit of money, die 10 years from now. Just locally. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so the, um, and is, do you think the earth will go that way? Do you think that the earth will be this thing that a we're, because of so much of us, or for whatever reason, that we're going to have to all know each other at some point, <coughs> genera generations from now? Or do you think governments will try to really stop that from happening? I don't know if they can stop it. If, if we don't do something, I think that, you know, this, this country, for example, I think has to be divided into four countries. Okay. Or five or whatever. Okay. The U.S. Yeah. Right. Why is that? There's too many different opinions and everybody's, you know, too many different things. So people would be happier if they could go to a portion of the country that was more in line with... Yeah, with their way of uh -huh. thinking. If you want to be a, you know, you want to go to a place where abortion is illegal, then go live in Alabama or whatever. Okay. You know, don't bring that crap to California or New York. Or you want to live in a country where they speak... Uh, uh, Hindu and go live in the, you know, okay. you, know that, you know, that type of thing. So almost a, f a choice, uh, a chosen, uh, a planned segregation of the land. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, something that will probably never happen in this country. I think it probably this country would probably fall before that, for that, a, a rational solution like that would happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's hard to keep a through line with all these thoughts. Because it's such a deep subject, you know. Yeah. To, to, uh, to we just drifted off. That's yeah. It. It's this lemonade. There's, There's too much sugar this in it. This lemonade is, is more intense than the coffee. There's <laughs> <laughs> so much sugar. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> like, I swore I wouldn't have coffee today, and I had a, a, a you know, what is it, a latte? Oh, a giant whatever. latte, yeah. Yeah. And like it was a little bit, it was a little, it was a minute, it was a moment there. I was like, whoa, but this thing here, yeah, dang, it messes your brain. It's like this thing it needs makes water. Makes you dizzy. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, man. All these are great topics that require a lot of thinking and clarity. And it's almost like which you is, would, which is, is this is counter that yeah counter that <laughs> it's lemonade and you and you have to make, do like a whole series of podcasts to really I know decipher it I, I just you know I uh, never see you I you know I, I I never know if I'll ever see you again you know like all right so, right because you travel and stuff like that yeah. we're we're old and things happen 
Um, and so just the fact that you were around, I thought, well, I'm going to just, I don't want to get sick because I know you got some cold, you know. That's over. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so I, I uh, thought, well, while he's here, I'm going to try to snag him up, you know, because uh, time is your only true enemy. Right. That's you know? it. And, and, I, and I wanted to hold these conversations because with the people, with my friends, people that I love, you know, I've had these conversations before. And I wanted my children to hear them. Right, right, right. Because I would like them to hear, like, what dad, I'd like to have them hear a conversation that dad had as an adult when they're adults. I'll be gone. Right, 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 right. So if this somehow survives, they can, oh, dad thought this about philosophy or dad thought this about money. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, Maybe when they're our age, they can finally understand it, what it, the implications of it. My daughter's already like you and I were. Yeah? She's one of those thinkers. Not even stupid? <laughs> <laughs> She's a, she's a deep thinker, you know, and so um, maybe it'll help her. Maybe this can mentor her in some level. Right, right. If she ever misses me because I'm dead, she can listen to this. Right, right. She might cry a little bit, but she might get something out of it that she could use in her life. Right, right. Yeah, that's you know? a beautiful legacy, man. That's good. Right. Some people leave a million dollars, you leave... Information. Yeah. And with people that I love, friends and right, people right. that I talk to, you know... Uh, it's cool, yeah. right? Never thought about that side of it. Yeah, that's really the purpose. One of the purposes uh, of this. I and I also got sick of um, social media. Right. So I wanted to make something long. Right, right, right. Instead of like this little picture on Instagram that lasts two seconds. Right, right, right. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I think we've covered it. Yeah, I think so. I think the lemonade is really what put an end to this we, podcast. Well, yeah, we had the lemonade. <laughs> if we didn't have the lemonade, we kept going. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Lemonade. So is there anything you want to say, any last words, anything about uh, to, to find you or endorsements or any business, business you want to stuff? put on? Well, you know, what drums you play or what... what uh, I don't think anybody cares. <laughs> <laughs> what if people want to hear your music? Or they, what if they see this podcast and they... I have a lot of friends that are drummers. You know, They can go on my website and... You know, everything's there. So philmatrano.com? Matrano.com. Go to my YouTube channel. All all the latest videos are are always there. Uh, All my projects are there. I've done it. I've gone on your YouTube channel, and I I love the one about the the elementary lessons on the Jazz 101 series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I use that all the time. Yeah. That's become a really popular series, Mm -hmm. especially overseas. Okay. Yeah, with some guy <laughs> trying. Well, I better put it What? No. <laughs> oh, that was going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just it's not for everybody. It's like you got you okay. got to be ready for the right information. But some some people are so bogged down in wrong information. Okay. Like when they're presented with the truth, they're like, no, 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 really? that can't be, no. I swear to God. It bothers them? That it, it conflicts bothers, with something they already believe? It conflicts with their... With their I mean, and all I can say is, uh, okay, listen to Elvin. I don't know what to tell you. You know? Hmm. That's how everybody plays. It's not, you know, it's like independence book that's yes. jazz. That's not jazz. No, no, you, you definitely unlocked the key. Yeah, you're, you're showing people the key to that, that yeah. particular genre of music. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and it is in everybody's plane. Everybody does that. Yeah, That's everybody, what you said. everybody does it. If they don't yeah. want to see that, if they don't want to believe it, then they don't believe it. I don't know what to say. What did that person believe? That did, did they get into what that they it doesn't swing. They say, it doesn't swing. Uh, okay. Go listen to Tony. You know, it's like, what? Really? What, what on earth are you thinking? I think Aren't that, those separate things, though? I mean, isn't swinging separate from what you're articulating? I mean, swing is the feel, isn't it? Overall, it's not literally what the notes you choose, the rhythm no, you choose. The, the swing is the is the this, the, the rolling nature, the, the phrases, the rolling. It feels like it's floating. It feels Moving like it's, forward. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, you know, it's lifted. Kind of lifts how you to up. Swing. Yeah. How, yeah, yeah. how do you swing? It makes it. It's what makes it feel good. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's just playing the pattern over and over doesn't is not swing. But you could make that swing. But it's. Yeah, but and you can play very stiff, or you can make it swing. Yeah, well, it's, it's like a it's, it's like a machine. Yeah, and you don't play any interaction. Then ding, 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 ding for five minutes. Yeah, right. It doesn't it doesn't do anything. It's That's just, true. It's a static. You know, right. it doesn't do anything. Right. So I mean, if you I mean, it's, a, it's like Maynard. If there's no interaction, then there's nothing there. It's right. Just, so get call a, sleep. Yeah, call a computer and do that. Right. right. So, but you know, some people are so ingrained in the rock thing, in the in the in the drum machine era, in the binary language thing, that they cannot even conceive. They cannot hear. You know, it's like it's like that thing where the Indians, when the, they say when the first uh, ship from Europe came mm -hmm. uh, to 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 the. I can't remember what island, you know, the Indians. Yeah. Like, it was such a foreign thing to see that, that one guy would say, look at the ship. And the other guys, like, couldn't see it. Because it was so It was so huge. foreign. Yeah. That they, they just, their brains yeah. couldn't conceive it. Like seeing it. an alien or something like that. Yeah, right? they, what, what, what? That thing there. Look right there, right there. All right, so one guy saw one guy. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, That's yeah, crazy. you lay it out in front of him. And, uh, and he, he no. tripped on that? Huh? He tripped out on, he or she yeah, tripped on Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't understand they couldn't understand what that's what made it actually swing <laughs> can a girl play drums of course can they play as good as a guy well it, it would be different how why is it different because uh i think the the feminine nature uh is different what does that mean physically or in the mind or both or? in the mind in the spirit in the stomach and the you know i mean but if you teach her vocabulary the correct way you, they would reach their full potential you know there's so many girl drummers now that are just like a, a female version of, of a guy which is wrong it's so or right so no it's totally lame lame you know, it's like what the? so they they should just be given the tools and then make their own voice yeah i mean in, in the beginning it was the job of the women to play drums like in, in africa I didn't know that. Yeah, in the, in the tribes, the drumming was left to the women. Did they play very softly? <laughs> I don't know. Just joking. But it, it was the, that's what they say. And then it slowly turned around to the, to the men. Hmm. So did men get the good part of the deal or the shaft in the deal or not? <laughs> we always get the shaft. What kind of question is that? Especially in California. Men get a shaft in California? Totally. Divorced, shafted.
No. See, now that we haven't drank a lemonade in about five minutes, we're actually laughing again. Right. Before, yeah. we were a little scared. Oh, my God. Heart, heart rate. <laughs> Dizziness. Right there. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Man. Well, I'm glad it didn't affect only me. No. There's no need to go to ER. All right. Uh, it's lemonade. ER. <laughs> oh, my God. <coughs> By the way, I was at, went to ER in India one time. And I had a back, I just couldn't even walk. It was so bad, Ooh. I had to go to the hospital. And they did every kind of test, you know, brain tests, or heart, everything, every x-rays, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, I, I can't afford this. I was getting out of control, man. How much is it going to be? Don't worry, don't worry. We didn't tell you. <laughs> at, the end of the, at the end of the thing, I'm like, oh, my God, my whole salary of the three months of conservatory is probably going to be gone. Wow. I get the bill, $40. Wow couldn't believe it. what was the what was because i get back what was the problem nothing i just dislocated some pulled some muscle, muscle in, as the doctor said he just needed to stay in bed for like two weeks and he gave me some uh relaxing muscle relaxing okay. yeah. paul fell back into place what's interesting is that i recently had a back thing and the new thinking on that is no bed rest like keep moving oh yeah they, they now feel that on certain back things that it's actually, that makes it worse. It stiffs up more. Could be. You know, and so, even though it hurts, they're not saying you should go out and do ballet dancing, but they're saying right, right. You know, that you should try to keep moving because you'll heal quicker. Well, who knows? I, yeah. don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it did heal. It, did, it was so bad that it couldn't. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. You just woke up in the one day? Or? No, I was, uh, I was doing a, <clears throat> some, I was taking some gear out in a, something and I made a bad movement and it just got worse and then I went to a massage girl in yeah. India yeah got a massage and it became worse after that even. yeah so it was injured it was injured yeah it was injured it's an injury so that's what he told me yeah. Right. yeah cool but yeah 40 I couldn't believe it right right it's good yeah it's good amazing money you know that's just that's why that's why I come here at every turn in this country, I feel like I'm being scammed. <laughs> I'm kidding. Two dollars? No, four dollars. <laughs> All right. God damn it. Five dollars. And then it makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it's really. Every, every human being I look at is trying to scam me. Something. You know yeah. what? You know? This is an expensive place, this we, place. We ordered a pizza last night. Yeah. Did we, guess how much it was? You're, you're at a restaurant or delivery? No, delivery, home delivery. I haven't done that in a while. Fifteen bucks? Thirty-two dollars. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're oh right. Oh my god! In Italy, that's three huge pizzas, like the finest pizzas you can get anywhere. Right. Three of them. No, you're right. If you get out, so a few things happen out here. Is one is that not only is the pizza thirty-two, but they make them so small now you have to buy two. So they'll sell you <laughs> two for forty. <laughs> <laughs> and these little, almost individual it's person always, it's pieces. It's another scam. Two for 40. Yep. Instead of well, one for 38. Yeah, so, everything's a scam. Yeah. I can't, I can't deal with it. I was at the market the other day. I bought four, three nectarines. Three nectarines. Four dollars. What? Four Was it Whole Foods or something like that? No, it was one of these outdoor markets here. One of those? Yeah. Wow. Couldn't believe it. This whole place oh is God. a scam. Wow, what do you have to earn around here just to rent a room? Oh, my God. Very incredible. Yeah. Just to, you know, rent, pay your rent, and just, that's why I don't ever want to live in LA again. I refuse to be uh, a, 
a slave. A slave to a landlord, some wanker, you know, sitting there, uh, collecting <laughs> rent off this guy. No he way. probably lives in Riverside. Who knows? Yeah. But I'm telling you, I had, a, I had an apartment for posterity, okay, here. I had an apartment in Italy by the beach, like 10 minutes to the beach, by bicycle. Amazing, beautiful beach, 300 euros. Which is what in, in That's America? $320. Okay. <laughs> it's right. just beautiful, and a beautiful apartment, too. Right. Wow. Ah, this place is a you rip I, I, I imagine in California, you couldn't get a room by the beach no for way. $300. You can't even rent a garage for $300. No way. That's a lot of space. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this place is all the prices are artificially raised. Yeah. So that the stupid, you know, banks and all these people can make money off it. I refuse to be a part of that. Right. That's why I will, I will never settle in this country again. Mm -hmm. Unless something, you know, miracles. Changes. Yeah, right. Bernie Sanders becomes president, then I might. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But no way. I'll right. be here, do whatever I have to extract from this place, and then split. Right. Well, the less time you spend here, the less money I'll spend. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, the truth. And the less, you know, one thing about China, as uh, noticing that when you can't speak the language, yeah. you have to go off of like the feeling between people, like how they talk to each other and the mannerisms and the, you know, just feelings. You know, different, right? yeah. different. And I noticed that they, they, the way they talk to each other, the way they interact has a lot, is like warm, you know, mm. has this friendly kind of warmth and like this camaraderie, mm. which is very strange. And then I go on Facebook, here, yeah. my American friends bickering and fighting, and <laughs> even here on the street, and the way people treat yeah. each other and the stuff. Wow, yeah. man, so aggressive. And I wonder where that comes from. I think, I think uh, this is one of the most violent societies in the world. Mm. Super violent mm -hmm. society, and that seeps into every aspect of life. That's interesting. We don't want to. We don't want, and, and, and things that we don't notice anymore because we become immune. But yes. when you're removed from that system right. in a way that you're like completely blocked from any, any contact with this place, because you know, your internet is blocked over there. You can't get on Facebook, you can't get okay. on, you know, I mean, you need a VPN to, to access that okay. stuff. So the more, you, the more you get removed from that culture and, and more into the other culture, start to see it and then you come back here it's like wow jesus right. Right. there it is you know there's that shit you know, every time i've ever traveled overseas whether it was mexico or france or ireland or, every time i came back here i always asked myself why do i live here right because <laughs> <laughs> really... it did seem like it was slower and calmer and maybe maybe more warm maybe what you're saying is right yeah more warm that's that's probably true you know Everybody. and i just always thought well maybe because america's so advanced that that's why it's quicker and more harsh and more... No. But maybe it is a cultural thing, maybe it is the violence, because this place was started... I mean, this place was this place here, USA, was basically a prison. Yeah. Indentured servants. Right. And a bunch of people from England making a bunch of money. Right, off with of free them. labor. Right. So it was not exactly like, oh, let's go to this new world and... No, it's, a, it's, just, it's a violent history, it's always been violent. It's, Suppressive. A taking thing. Yeah, taking, scamming. Not always. caring about another human. Right. Re reducing humanity. Exactly. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Independence. Independence. Mm -hmm. 
But the, the independence whole, from paying taxes. Right. The whole thing is a scam anyway. There's no independence anywhere. It never existed, never will exist. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a scam to make more money off you. Right. <laughs> now, when you say there's no independence anywhere, is it meaning in the U.S. or also in the world? In the world, in the whole world. Why, Everything why do you say is that? In interdependent. Everything is interdependent. There's no escape. We are interdependent on the planet, and it starts mm -hmm. the, the universe and the solar system and the sun. You know, one planet gets out of whack and everything, everybody's dead. That's true. Yeah, so. so we are inter interdependent in yeah, that sense. Everything is interdependent. What this guy does is drops a nuclear bomb and it goes everywhere and everybody else is dead too. So it's, right. you know, that's on the big picture. Right. But, you that's know, interesting. Yeah. There's no independent. Nobody can be independent. Did you build this fucking road? No. Right. You depend on the guy that built that goddamn road a long right. time ago. Right. You know? <laughs> true. That's true. There's no, there's no capital like the capitalism. That, like, there's only socialism. You know, somebody built this glass and this table and this cup. We all depend on each other for daily. You know, mm -hmm. there's no, there's only interdependence. Why do some people? Why do you think some people believe in, in independence? Because they're brainwashed. And and only through, you know, traveling and experiencing different cultures are you able to like get this. You realize it doesn't exist. Yeah, I realize it's just, these, these, I, was, I was so brainwashed as a kid, man. I remember in Argentina, where I was living in Argentina, being in school, drawing the American flag, you know, military aircraft and stuff, drawing of tanks. Why did you do that? Because I was so brainwashed. Like you thought it was cool? I thought, oh, America, man, number one, number one. Even over there? When I was living there, yeah, but then, you know, all the other kids are like, Yankee, go home, get out of here, and hated me. <laughs> well, because you were from New York, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was, they, they didn't get it at all, you know, so. Huh, they, I didn't and know they that. they looked at us like the suppressors, which we actually were. Yes. We, we did so much bullshit over there in South America. Well, if you look at Star Wars, we're definitely the Imperial Stormtroopers. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, we're <laughs> disgusting. I, I find the whole thing really disturbing and, you know, Right. I mean, compared to Britain, I guess we're nothing. We've only, we've only been around for 400 years. Okay. They, they were very oppressive? Oh, yeah. All over the world for centuries, you know. Right. That's why you have all these British colonies yeah. all over the place. Yeah. They're going to try to take over the world. Right. So. Right. Go to Russia. Yeah. Never been to Russia. Russia's, Russia was a place that opened my eyes, too, because I... On TV, my friend's watching TV, and there's all these war movies, you know. But it's war movies about Russian soldiers. Okay. And Russian... The, Just you, like here, ours are all about American about soldiers. About America. You didn't see no Americans in those movies. Okay. And, and they're like, this is a movie about World War II. I mean, what are you talking about? We won World War II. Huh? They didn't even really? think we were in it. Really? Yeah. So they, they made history. Russia won World War II. Like 23 million Russian people died in World War II. So from their perspective, we weren't even in the war. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So that oh. started, that's another thing got me. Oh what did that God. make you think? That we were completely brainwashed. You know, we'd see all these war movies, nothing of propaganda. That's another reason I started this podcast is because um, people our age are trying to write history. And so I sometimes talk to people and different fields that I like, skateboarding, drumming, mm. uh, art, that aren't powerful people. Yeah. Because, because I would like the truth, their truth to be on record. Yeah. You know, there are people that are around it. Right, right. 
And then the people that are kind of powerful, they are trying to write history. Yeah? Yeah. It's, it's favorable to them. Of course. <clears throat> Which is, and we were all there. We all saw it. We are like, that's not the way I remember it. Right. But what we think about it and what we remember won't matter because if they can just write it. Of course. Yeah, at least here. <clears throat> but the world is big. You know, this, it's, I'm not too worried about these petty, you know, because, I mean, once you go, like, go to Russia and discover the truth, you know, it's just like, okay, there it is, you know. It's, all you have to do is go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's cool. Yeah. I think we've covered it. I think so. <laughs> We're completely burnt out. We're lemonaded out and coffeeed out. We literally haven't taken another sip of lemonade in yep. maybe 20, 30 minutes there. All right, I'll turn this on. All right.